3: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined all the way from America by Matt to Rumpets. How's it going, Matt?
0: Uh, It's going great, you know. Uh, We have a big, exciting race coming up next weekend.
3: It's the British Grand Prix. It is 50 minutes drive from my house, and I'm still not going to go and attend the race. I'm going to go to Friday practice, though.
0: Good. I'm actually looking forward to talking about it, because I've driven on the actual circuit now. This will be exciting
3: for me. Of course, you drove Pip Hammond's Nova at silverstone on the track how exciting i was meant to go with you and i had to go to work and i just could not get out of it i was try believe me i was trying everything to get out of it
0: i know and i'm really sorry you missed it although there is this race in october
3: oh yes and uh, there's talk of you and me getting racing licenses and going out on a track together more to follow We're going to bring you some F1 news and chats. But first, I'd like to tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined in the shed today by Chris Stevens and Kyle Power. Chris Stevens, I still think of you as our news guy, even though you've gone and got yourself a proper job within motorsport. But this week has been filled with some of the most sensational news stories. So I can only conclude as a punter off the street that this is the most incredible week of F1 news there's ever been.
4: Well, I mean, I may not be a a journalist anymore, but I still know uh, a good news story from a fake one. And there seems to have been some sensationalism this week unfortunately there have been a couple of news stories that have been pretty much flat out wrong um and or or a, or a massive exaggeration of a very small truth um, which is what the internet's all about really isn't it
3: well i think we'll break down those stories anyway even the ones that you think are, are flat out wrong off the top of your head it's the alonzo breaking up with McLaren one you think is wrong I had completely taken that on board I thought that was real news
4: no according to the the best of the information there is next to very little change to the McLaren Alonso relationship
3: we'll explore that a little bit more later and also you don't think that the Williams Renault uh, story is valid either but hold your fire for now because we have a different kind of power not firepower we have Kyle power how's it going Kyle yeah, not bad, thanks. It's nearly a year since you started hanging out with us in the shed. Your first Missed Apex podcast was the Silverstone Grand Prix 2018.
5: Yeah, yeah, it was. So coming up for my year anniversary, um, I'm expecting a present. Um, If you haven't already got it, I
3: suggest you go and get one. This is super awkward. Yeah, of course. Uh, wait patiently by your door tomorrow. Every door knock could be that present. Are you planning to head down to Towchester?
5: No, I'm not this year. I'll be
3: watching via proxy. All right. Okay, I'd do you ever go? go.
5: Uh, yeah, I've been several times. Um Last time I went was 2012, I believe.
3: All oh, right, I went in 2013, the year of the exploding tyres, which was actually <laughs> quite dramatic and fun, although the tyres were all exploding just out of shot. So I'd see them go by and go, ah, everything seems fine. And then there'd be a ooh around the corner. What's going on? What's happening? What's happening? And I'd have to wait for the world feed to catch up with it. Uh yeah, Silverstone's always a, a great Grand Prix. Uh, do you know what, Kyle? I never... In the in the several trips I've taken down there, I've never managed to get myself to the to the S's to Maggots Becketts.
5: Oh, to Becketts, really? No, yeah. that is the number one place to stand. Say to any fan, if you want to go and have the wow factor of a Formula One
3: car stand on the entrance to Maggots Becketts, I think there's just so much to see, and and it's quite a big sight. And for the actual race, I went and sat at the village complex because that's where a lot of the racing, if you like, happens and you see all the action coming out of the first turn. Uh, but yeah, I've never seen the spectacle of these F1 cars jinking through those S's. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that on the Friday. Uh, what, what is it you wanted to talk about news-wise a bit later on? Oh, I've been thinking about the engine regs a little bit, and namely the 2021 regulation
5: changes, how unattractive it is for manufacturers, and a potential solution to steal from another championship.
3: But Ooh, more on that later. Fun. Let's explore this week's Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. Well, Matt Trumpets is our show dog our showrunner i was caught between showrunner and top dog and i've come out with the worst possible solution you're our newshound matt what news are we exploring first
0: well i think probably uh we should start with the last race we all saw that mercedes was not entirely present in the way that we've become accustomed to and we now have some information as to why that is specifically not just that they weren't able to get cooling right, but that there was no way they could have gotten the cooling right because in the uh, Formula One tradition, their radiators aren't quite big enough. Oh, wait, explain
3: that. Their radiators aren't big enough and they've only just discovered this.
0: Yes. Well, I think they got caught out by the extra high temperatures that Europe is uh, suffering under in general as things go on. But essentially, the radiator size determines how much heat can be bled from the engine, given the speeds at which they travel. And there's just simply not enough uh, surface area uh, for them to get rid of the amount of heat that's generated once it gets over about, I think it was
4: 28C. They may not have just discovered this. I mean, they're only just admitting to it, is how (laughs) I like to look at it.
5: Kyle. Kyle. Yeah, it's only just become apparent as a problem. And it's it's quite good of them to be so honest and just come out and say, yeah, we have a fundamental flaw in our design. It's it, it's not performing as they expected. So even if they open up the bodywork to the maximum extent, which is what they did, they're still in trouble. So expect them to struggle at races later on in the year, like particularly hot ones. Maybe Singapore, I'm thinking it's going to be quite hot.
3: Uh, Chris, there was one season, Mercedes, when they had Rosberg and Hamilton, where they were hacking bits out of, the bodywork trying to get cooling in. And I know they, they've always had this kind of balance between performance and cooling, and this wouldn't be the first time that they've, they've had that problem. But in the past, they've often chosen a setup for performance that's caused their brakes or something to overheat. I think Canada's uh, Canada 20, I'm guessing 2014, I think. And, uh, and then there was a Singapore Grand Prix as well, where Rosberg had the race win under control, but then they were having to bleed off performance. Uh, but they, I remember them hacking bits of body out in the free practice sessions. So it is a, it's not something Mercedes are inf- afflicted with suddenly. This seems to be part of their philosophy.
4: No, but that's the choice you take, isn't it? You have to design a car that will work across the whole season. And Mercedes, in spite of the, the cooling issues that they've had across uh, other seasons, have been very good at that uh, in, in terms of the car philosophy. Uh, but you you got to think there are going to be quite a few races that they're going to struggle at um, for for temperature. I mean, it's been quite hot in Britain at the moment. We can only assume that's going to happen this weekend. Budapest will be another one as well.
3: So I'm I'm assuming in the chat room that Helionomi six 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 isn't a Mercedes fan because with this talk he's saying hoping for a heat wave. A uh, Merckman is also saying hot hot hot. Philip Allen says the the Sunday temperature is meant to be 23 degrees. However. I've got a feeling that, you know, that that might feel a little hotter. It's exposed. It, the weather forecast is a, for a very sunny day as well, Matt. So is that the trend that we're we're looking at? In fact, we'll go to Kyle. Are, are we are we looking at when it's hot? Mercedes are going to struggle?
5: Uh, yeah, also, and when they are mired down in a pack, if they have a problem in qualifying or if they make a bad start and they're in a big chain of cars trying to trying to follow through, so they're going to be struggling. So so don't expect if a Mercedes is out of position for them to be fighting back through at hot races. Uh,
4: Zibi in the chat room makes an interesting point as well. That it's to do with altitude as well as uh, the temperature, because, of course, the higher up you are, the less air you're getting into your radiators so tracks like brazil and mexico for example are going to be other ones where they may struggle right
0: well uh, erudite 450 points out what i was also wanting to say which is that this may not be so much of a flaw as simply a compromise they might have looked at the totality of the season and decided the gains bought by having the smaller radiator and tighter packaging are outweighed by those races in other words yes we had to, i mean i mean look at them they ran in they ran in limp home mode and where did they finish in austria again well chris obviously
3: tight packaging was your right said fred cover band at school uh but what do you have in addition to
4: that well i mean we, we sit sitting here saying oh it's a big problem for mercedes but as matt said they came fourth and uh fifth was it in in austria fourth and sixth and And they won every other race this season. So it's clearly not afflicting them all that badly.
5: Yes, an age old, it's the age old adage of, yeah, you design a car for the whole season so they can take a hit at the occasional extremely hot race at at the expense of being amazing at the other races.
4: At any rate, unless it starts blowing up for multiple consecutive races, I don't think it's going to affect their championship all that much.
3: Thanks very much to the very active live stream and chat room today. If you want to join them, go uh, go to YouTube and search for Missed Apex Podcast. The chat feature is integrated into the YouTube system, so you can watch us on our phone, and you could have our faces in the top half of your phone, and then the live chat comes in underneath. You can find out information about everything we do at Podcast.com. and if you're feeling very generous, you can support us on Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. I will bully myself and Matt into doing a Patreon podcast tomorrow cuz we've every week we've been trying to do it we've had content build up built up um but for one reason or another we've not been able to so we're going to catch up tomorrow and we're also going to be trying to review uh, Catch 22 as part of Apex TV which is one of our new podcast projects Matt uh, let's talk Ocon obviously he was driving the Mercedes at Goodwood up the hill and people are still kind of desperately hoping that he's going to come back into f1 he's an incredibly popular driver he's got this massive uh goodwill and sympathy behind him actually my main concern is when he comes in can he possibly now live up to the hype and expectation
0: and uh, i'm going to immediately make you full of sad by saying it's just going to depend on the car that he gets now that's
3: better than tires All right. But obviously he's going to have another teammate to beat. So if he comes in against Lewis Hamilton, I think people are genuinely going to be expecting him to take the fight to Lewis Hamilton the same way Leclerc has done to Vettel. eh, I think maybe people will be disappointed, Chris.
4: I really can't see it happening as much as we sit here and say Bottas is in no way a challenger to Lewis Hamilton. Well, on occasion he is, but that's not the point. It's a winning formula. Why are they going to risk shaking that up? Uh, I, I, for me, the most logical place for Ocon to be put next is at racing point. Um, we know that strollers probably got the future of that seat tied down, uh, but what about Perez? You know, he, he's not getting any younger. And what is he going to achieve in Formula One by staying at, at Racing Point?
3: Well, Matt, he's he's right there, isn't he? I mean, uh, Stroll's qualifying performances alone have secured his seat for 2020, is what I've heard.
0: Yeah, we'll be looking at some teammate battles later on. And interestingly, that's one of them. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think it's correct um, when Chris brings up Perez perhaps moving of his own accord. And then interestingly, the question would be where, where would he want to go? What team could he move to? Uh, Obviously Hulkenberg is a big question mark right now, Uh, but that's maybe also being looked at by Ocon. Um, Kyle.
5: Yeah. Well, Hass as well, because it's not exactly rosy with, um, with Monsieur Grosjean in there at the moment. So um I think Hasselwald, Günter Steiner, particularly off of the uh, Drive to Survive series, can see he has a very short temper and short patience with uh, with Grosjean. And after this season, I can't see Grosjean staying there for another year. So that's a perfect place for Perez to go.
4: And of course, Toto Wolff and Cyril Abibol had a handshake agreement that Ocon was going to go to Renault for this season before the whole Ricardo deal got done. So that's another possibility. Now, people might be asking, uh, why is this Mercedes driver looking at a Ferrari junior team and uh, and a Renault works team. And Toto Wolff has said, we will let him go if if that's what it takes to to keep his career going, which is exactly what they did for Pascal Wehrlein at the end of last year.
0: Yeah, and it's important to remember that we're talking about a driver who has beaten Verstappen in a championship. So we really want to see him in a competitive car, uh, giving a full accounting of himself because he could be... At that level, at the Verstappen level.
3: Well, wait a minute, Carl. Surely if he goes, not straight to Mercedes, but he goes to Haas, say, and absolutely creams Magnussen, who a lot of people like and rate, and he's definitely a a decent racer, even if you don't think he's in the top echelon. But for Ocon to go to Haas and just cream Magnussen, that would be incredible for his profile. If he goes to Mercedes and gets battered, then that is what we are terming, you know, doing a Gasly.
5: Yeah. I really don't think he'll go to Mercedes. The fact that um, Toto Wolf is talking about cutting him loose and, you know, for, for his career and letting him go, um, I think is the biggest giveaway and hint that Bottas is going to be staying for another year.
3: Okay, well, it was a good point, but no one says Toto Wolf. Literally no one. Okay, so I ca- occasionally get the odd thing wrong, but I don't think even I can stand Toto. What was wrong with that? Toto Wolf. You're standing by Toto Wolf. That's the the hill you want to die on. What's his name? Toto surely toto, oh
5: sorry toto
3: no from now on it's always toto wolf so matt toto wolf uh is he gonna hang on to bottas is all of this posturing over where ocon goes this signal that we we are going to see bottas stay and it's got to be stay as a number two or a number two with five races of false hope written into his contract per season well
0: you ask such an interesting question I do, um, right? Y- you do you do um and and I think it goes back to the Mercedes chassis design we were talking about, which is everything in Formula One is a compromise. And if you're looking at Valtteri's performance, the question to ask is, do we think he's leaving points on the table? If so, how many? And is it worth it to try something new to upset the alpacart as you say? But also brings up a related question, which is if Ocon were to replace him, what would be his benchmark? Would he simply have to do better than Botas? or 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 would he have to be level with Hamilton to really maintain the, sort of the uh, impression that he's given thus far?
5: Um, I can't see why they would want to do it. It's working so well. He's hardly giving away any points. They're they're a commanding like point in the in the constructors' championship. They they might want to get the one two in the drivers, but they don't want to destabilize their golden boy, which is Lewis. So I I can't see why they put Ocon in. And if they do, they'd expect Ocon. To be troubling him a lot more than Bottas is, and that's just going to cause friction. So I think it's a bad move. If you ask me.
3: Yeah, one of the key giveaways really is Lewis Hamilton's attitude towards Valtteri Bottas. So he compliments him. He says he's a great teammate. If Bottas gets a pole, which he often does, Matt uh, Hamilton is straight over there tapping him on the back. Oh, well done! You know that's really that's really good. Considering I'm so much better than you, well done. And if Hamilton's happy, maybe Mercedes is happy.
0: Uh, in other words, you're saying he's getting the same treatment from Hamilton that Raikkonen got from Vettel at Ferrari. Yeah, he's such a good guy, such a great driver. You know, it's a real challenge. It's a real
3: challenge, this. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Why, why rock the apple cart? Uh, but I think Carl is right, Matt. Bottas isn't giving away points like in the same way Gasly is. He's just not quite on Hamilton's ultimate race pace.
0: Yeah, and and that's why I would uh, unfortunately, uh, for the sake of the show, pretty much have to agree. I think unless he has, suffers an utter meltdown over the second half of the season, it's unlikely that they would want to move him on until they felt like maybe Hamilton was ready, you know, winding up his career, and they want to bring in whatever young gun they're going to bring in to take over for him. They're not going to want someone who can who who will pose that kind of an existential threat to his leadership at the team, but on. Thinking about it, I did want to bring up the Perez de Haas thing again, because I think there's another angle to that. We all know that the uh, rich energy lawsuit has been wound up with them having to turn over their numbers for production and sales and stuff like that. And it just occurs to me that Perez not only is brilliant with the tires, which I've always given to him, he's like the tire whisperer. But he comes with an awful lot of funding too, and Haas may be needing some extra money once these numbers are, are shown to the public. So I would keep an eye on that one for sure.
3: Uh, okay, sorry. I, I lost how we got from Bottas to Perez to Haas. Uh, was there a link there, Matt, or have I gone mad? Ocon. Oh, right, okay, yeah, that's fair. What I'd love to say is, okay, so I see what we're doing. Right, we're, we're saying if Ocon goes to Racing Stroll... Then Perez gets booted out, has, and it, that ties up a nice, li- neat little bow. And the the only person to miss out is Grosjean, who has a new fluffy kitten anyway, Chris. So he's happy.
4: But there's a chance that uh, the Strolls may want to bring up another Canadian, Nicholas Latifi, to the team uh, next uh, season, who we all know uh, has some funding himself, uh, and create a Canadian super team over there.
3: Excellent. I want to go back to Mercedes now for a little while because a lot of the complaints coming out of you know, Click Farm F1 and people getting bored at the beginning of the season was to do with the fact that Lewis Hamilton seemed unchallenged and he wasn't challenged by his own teammate and Mercedes are not being challenged by Ferrari. So the issue I'd like to raise is that of the supposed Mercedes dominance. Now, we've been doing a bit of maths and by we... A friend of mine who's much better at this kind of thing. And let's see if you think these are fair parameters, because we haven't finished all the maths yet, but this is a theory I would like to lay out and develop. So you tell me if we've got any of these rules wrong. What we'd like to do in 2017, 2018 and 2019 is to forgive Sebastian Vettel all his mistakes, all his driver errors. And I know Matt's going to say, oh yeah, but it's the car and the hole in the air or some some magic Reasons, Harry Potter style, uh, Harry Potter style logic. But we're going to forgive all those mistakes and say he keeps it on the road. What we're also going to do is we're going to retire Lewis Hamilton. So we're going to have retired him in 2016. That he, let's even say he beat Rosberg and that went right, that's it. Enough titles for me. I'm doing one. So what we've got now is we've got Bottas in as a number one driver with a compliant number two wingman who finishes every race just behind him. Never tries to overtake him. And wherever they start on the grid, he'll catch up or fall back to be behind Bottas. I suspect when we do this maths, Matt, that we're going to see that the gap isn't as big as it seems. And there might just be a genuine driver performance and driver bringing it home difference between those two teams.
0: Yeah. Would you like me to point out the two problems with that? Or do I you want to save it. it for a No, Kyle? no.
3: I'd, I'd, I'd love it. Go for it.
0: Okay. All right. Problem number one. Uh, We know that in many races, uh, Bottas started behind Hamilton and was in traffic. And that, therefore, immediately affects the performance of the Mercedes to an extent. And importantly, for every race where Hamilton was in the lead, Bottas also received suboptimal strategy in terms of finishing the race as fast as possible because that has been Mercedes' method Ah, of dealing
3: with the drivers. Ah, but see, both those options are harsh on... Bottas. So what you're saying is it will make Mercedes look relatively weak to do that. But we'll also, you'll be giving one place to Bottas in nearly every race that he didn't finish ahead of Hamilton. He's gaining at least a place. And if Vettel finished behind him or a Ferrari finished behind him, we're going to shove him a Mercedes of his compliant teammate in between them.
0: I'd have to think about it, but it sounds,
4: it's that's an interesting corrective, yes. I think no matter how you look at it, we're hardly in the Schumacher days, where titles were being won by August and September. Yeah, this we, is
3: well, we'll see, <laughs>
4: but yeah. Well, yeah. maybe different this season, but like even so, this is this is still a relatively competitive F one. I mean, maybe even people like me, because when I first started watching Formula One, you had Ferrari, Red Bull, and uh, McLaren all going for the title, and there were five guys going into Abu Dhabi who could have. Uh, or four guys going into Abu Dhabi who could have left champion that year. And then we had seasons like 2012, where there was seven different winners in seven races. And I think we got a, a little bit spoiled during that period. Right. So
0: did they not have a different point system when Schumacher was winning all those championships? Yeah. Which would have affected when the races were over because the points were smaller or bigger.
4: But but it was harder to build an advantage because there was fewer points between winning and and coming second. So if anything, that that concludes you, yeah, yeah, more dominant.
3: I was going to say, Carl, it wasn't it designed because they didn't like the fact that you could win a championship with less wins. They wanted the person who won the most races to be the champion.
5: Yeah, I think they changed, they, they, did the first set of, um, point changes. I think it was in 2003 to try to stop the Ferrari dominance and the Ferrari in the end. And then they had, yeah, it was only, it was 10 points for first, eight points for second, I believe. And they kept that right through. I can't remember when they changed. it. I think it was 2010, wasn't it? They changed to a 25-point system. Yeah.
3: So, of course, there's lots of could have, would have, should haves here. And it's a good thought exercise. And I've got someone with the spreadsheet who's willing to do it. So I'd love to get your input, spannersready at gmail.com. Or you can tweet us at mistapexf1 or me at spannersready. And just get your input for the rules. Because at the moment, that's, that is what we're planning to do. We're planning to take Lewis Hamilton out of the equation. Uh, make Bottas the number one Mercedes driver. His results stand. Obviously, he gains a place with Lewis Hamilton out the picture. His wingman is always behind him. And Vettel never spins. So we will grant him the results from, like, Germany. We can grant him, we can debate whether that's first or second, because Hamilton was catching him in the rain. But, for example, he wouldn't have spun wheel-to-wheel at Bahrain. Uh, We'll we'll say, like, Leclerc's engine blow-up didn't happen there either. And, uh, you know, things like him punting Bottas at Paul Ricard last season – We'll take that away as well and try and work that all out. Chris?
4: I'm still a firm believer that Sebastian Vettel should have won the title last year, as I'm sure many of us well, are. Yeah, and this
3: is what I'm trying to work out, yeah. yeah. And I think I think 2017, Kyle, even that was the one where he really had a real good shot at winning the championship, and that's the one initially we're looking at as being a Vettel title. Yes,
5: 2017 and 2018, what a lot of people seem to forget is... um. It, it looks a lot worse than it actually is. There was a lot of choking going on from every, from all the other rivals and Mercedes and Hamilton just did a solid job and everyone else choked around them. So without that chokage, so to speak, um, it would have been really close and we would have had a hell of a fight, but it looks a lot worse than it actually is.
4: In 17, at least there was some reliability coming into play with Ferrari. But yeah, we all true. remember mm-hmm. Suzuka when he lost the spark plug at, at least in 18, it was, it was really, really solid. And it were, you can really only pin it on Sebastian Vettel making errors because those two cars were very, very evenly matched. And, uh, for the first half of the season, you, we argued that the Ferrari was ahead.
3: Well, we've got, uh, people in the chat room. I think Ferrari fans saying, please don't hurt us anymore. Uh, Dean, uh, De Hin says these people are delusional. If you correct for all of Vettel's mistakes last year, Hamilton would have still won by Brazil. I think it would definitely have been a lot closer. So that's why I was saying 2017 is the one that I'm really looking at. If it had worked out like that, if you'd have had Hamilton 2015, Rosberg 2016, Vettel 2017, a really close championship 2018... I don't think anyone would have come into this season going, "Oh, it's just Hamilton, Mercedes dominance, Carl." That's really the point that I'm trying to drive at. Is it as bad as all that? Because people have called this the most dominant seri- uh, era of F1 ever, and I just that's not sitting right with me. And I'd, I'd love to push some numbers, and I'd love to know why you think I'm wrong.
5: Yeah, well, there's also um, the fact of quite a few Ferrari strategy errors and and Vettel actually having to question and double double ask the team on the strategy and more or less dictate the strategy from the car which couldn't have been a good thing for his um for his for his race performances so so it's not just all on Vettel to be fair it's like Ferrari made some very questionable strategy mistakes okay
3: so to- yeah hell you know me saying if some butts candy and nuts I did say that right at the beginning of course this is all if some butts Matt but it's just a thought exercise to say is Hamilton winning because he's doing well or is it all being gifted to him that's like the eternal question in formula one my main grievance is in other sports we don't go oh it's so boring that nadal has won on clay again i don't really know tennis i think that's the one he's good at we can't we celebrate it more in f1 we don't tend to do that i do remember even in schumacher and vettel's dominance people were like oh god again the end of 2013 had some really good racing But the fact that Vettel and Red Bull were doing a better job than everyone completely ruined that season for some people. When in fact, actually, there was some great racing down the field. Hulkenberg and Hamilton randomly were in like a second half of the season long battle, Chris.
4: I think what makes this look worse than it is as well is looking at the statistics of it. And I very rarely trust statistics because you can manipulate them to say whatever you want. Yes, that's what I was planning to do. Let's look at Mercedes' time in F1. Right. They've been here since 2010 and they've won five titles. So they've won 50% of the years that they've, uh, that they've raced in, but that doesn't show the, the different iterations of that team before it. It doesn't show the individual races. And let's be honest, a lot of this success is due to the switch to hybrid, um, power units. If we'd have stuck it out with the regulations that we had uh, prior to 2014, we'd be looking at some very different seasons. Um, Right now, so there, there, there's that to kind of take into account, and also comparing it to different eras because there are more races these days. So I'm not saying it's easier to break uh, a, a record, but saying you you won 17 races in a season is less impressive now than it was back in the 80s, for example.
3: Matt, before you get in, Will Crockett in the chat room says, let's do an experiment where we correct all of Grosjean's mistakes and do the maths on how many years it adds back to Gunter Steiner's life expectancy. Fantastic comment. Thank you very much, Will. Matt, please continue.
0: Uh, Speaking of the chat room, uh, Don Dehen makes the important uh, distinction between the 14, 15 and 16 years versus the 17 and 18 years. Um, and says that if you just look at 17 and 18, it looks a lot more like the Red Bull era in terms of dominance. But if you add in the 14, 15, 16 years, which, remember, that's when we had the regulations being clamped down each year into terms of what the other manu- manufacturers could fix on their power units. Uh, it, it looks overwhelmingly dominant for Mercedes if you include those years. And I think it's valid because of the regulation change, change to
4: perhaps look at them as two separate regulatory eras. I would also say that people call that, that Red Bull Vettel era dominant. I don't call it dominant. They, they had a a really good car in 2011, but Vettel also strapped himself into that car perfectly and knew the tires perfectly in 2010 and 2012. They didn't have the best car. And in 2013, that was a bit of an odd season with the tire construction change in the mid season. Yeah. Vettel was starting to build an advantage before that, but what really locked in that championship for them was the switch back to uh, previous year's construction tires. So I don't call Red Bull's era dominant either. Kyle? And also,
5: yeah. And also for the 2011 season, who was the only driver who went to visit Pirelli at their factory before the season to get all the information about the tires? It was Vettel. He put, he, he, he did his homework and yeah, it was very hard for. And just look at some of like Weber was there in twenty ten, twenty twelve, twenty thirteen. weren't so much. So it wasn't this massive dominance from Red Bull because the second car wasn't. They they weren't one twoing sort of freight training everything like like Mercedes were in fourteen and fifteen.
3: If you've accidentally tuned into this show and you don't know what you're listening to, it's missed Apex podcast. You can catch us on audio or video, but either way. Do make sure you subscribe. Don't rely on us posting on social media. We're doing our F1 News and Silverstone preview show. We're going to be talking about some fake news and some engine stuff, as well as looking forward to the British Grand Prix. all right chris let's slide on into your wheelhouse then because it has been a sensational week for news someone on twitter started a rumor that formula that um that williams were leaving formula one to concentrate solely on their formula e project unbelievable irresponsible twittering and and social media influencing there i'm sure you'll agree chris
4: no absolutely um no, I, I couldn't possibly say about that. Uh, the uh, the Jaguar project is uh, it's really important uh, to them.
3: <laughs> so so Formula, uh, sorry, Williams support Jaguar in Formula E at the moment. But, you know, it's just a paint job away, isn't it, for, for that being Williams?
4: Well, I mean, Jaguar is a little bit strapped for cash. It's a good job Formula E is a relatively cheap uh, series. <laughs> so <laughs> but, it's, oh, are
3: you saying Formula E is cheaper than Formula One, the sport in which... Williams are struggling to keep up with financially and are about eight seconds off the pace and that they could turn their attentions to Formula E because they gamble on it as a a, a a sport of the future and they already have a stake in a team which could do with financial backing from a team that can't afford Formula One as much but does have the investment for Formula E that also happens to have a really good electronics and hybrid department such as Williams I mean, nothing's adding up in this story. It's a horrible rumor, Chris. I I'm, I really regret I st- I really regret it was started.
4: Yeah, well, of course they did the battery for the first four seasons, and that's why it was a bit controversial. They were getting into bed with Jaguar, and of course now they're doing uh, the battery for the new Extreme E series um, as well. So they have uh, plenty of knowledge in that department. What's wait what what's the what's the Extreme E series? Extreme E is it's electric off roading, so it's a it's a bit like as if Dakar was turned into a championship with uh, all electric vehicles.
3: oh cool. I mean, it is coming, isn't it? It is coming. The electric revolution, Chris. But for for the foreseeable future, F one is going to be the top dog financially, and Formula E is going to be cheaper.
4: Well, a, a, an electric. The Volkswagen just took the the lap record at the Goodwood Hill Climb, so. It, it it's coming it's coming baby beating a 20 year old record um, um, but this, v- v- the story- v- vox
3: sorry i had to correct you i'm i'm really particular about pronouncing names incredibly accurately so sorry i had to stop you there
4: i know you are mm-hmm. um the 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 story that's caught my eye about williams um this week though is the idea that they're going to switch to renault engines for next season and i cannot possibly think of one reason <laughs> why you would do that the mercedes engine is the only redeeming thing about that car at the moment apart from one of its drivers which doesn't count so why on earth uh, now i know matt's going to come up with uh, with an argument here that i i know i know what you're going to say about gearboxes and stuff but it's just not a good enough reason. I'll
3: tell you what, Matt, can you can you imagine the the Williams launch next year with the Williams Renault? And it'll be like the lights coming up and it'll be doom doom last season. You think we made the worst possible car, but we took the one good element and we made it worse. Introducing the new Williams Renault.
0: Well, of course, there's a one word argument uh for why they might do such a thing, and that would be money it's
3: all about the money 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 i I did a i did a parody of that still available on my soundcloud
0: but i would say that the real reason this has got so much traction is that if we were to just posit that such a ridiculous thing were to happen then that leaves mercedes looking for a team that might want an engine and oh where might they go mclaren maybe and if they did, how ridiculous would that be?
3: <laughs> uh, so, Chris, before you speculate on on whether that ridiculous situation could could come up, uh, as far as you're concerned, this is indicative of a wider problem in our media at the minute.
4: Yeah, no, I I think uh, like we, we, the term fake news is thrown around a lot, and I really hate it. It's it's like it's like bay and and stuff like that. I really don't like it. But it, it applies to the world of Formula One so well because there is just a load of tosh that comes out of some, some websites and some quote unquote publications that, that either exaggerate a very minor truth or just flat out make stuff up that is completely unfounded. Um, which is and for me it's it's not a big as issue as uh, flat out stealing other people's work, which is another big issue with motorsport media but um it's it is a a big issue because it just spreads just fake nonsense around, and I think there's been a fair bit of that this week, yeah,
5: but you can see how somebody has has fabricated that story Renault you know Renault has a free slot to supply to supply an engine they have all the infrastructure in place. Um, and they're probably looking for another supplier because it's quite a lot of money for them. So somebody's probably seen that and think, ah, there's a bit of a story here. Why not? Go for it. Why why not? Just make it up.
4: Now, now that's not to say they haven't explored the idea, because I'm sure a lot of teams are quietly making kind of backup deals. They're like, oh, if we, if we lose this deal, we've got to have something you know in place. But to then report it as a this is a factual thing that will happen story is what ends up happening.
0: Cyril Abitbol was seen talking with team principal Claire Williams, and that's led to rumors that perhaps a power train switch is in order. There's your story right there. I mean, this is is how all these things (laughs) happen. There's always that tiny kernel of, I saw, I heard, someone told me. And then you just say, well, what could be the most entertaining possible outcome? And you just let your creative juices flow.
5: Indeed, to further that, um... There's a rumor going around that Vettel was going to go back to Red Bull purely because he's going back to see his mates, to see his mates in the motorhome. It's exactly the same thing.
3: Now, oh. Chris, I, I did, I, did I tweet that or did I put that in a group? I can't remember where I put that, but I've definitely tried my best to stoke that as well. Do you not? Do you not like that one either?
4: Oh well, I mean, look, Alex Albon went into the F2 paddock in Baku to go and visit the, his old Dan's team. He must be coming back to F2. I mean. There's another one. The, the whole Hulkenberg to Red Bull thing has cropped back up again because clearly he's the number one choice.
3: Oh, yeah, no, that story came up because uh, I think you know you've you've really. Brought something to light here, which I hadn't quite registered with. We keep getting this wave of sensational stories that then get put down and are completely rubbish. And, like, these aren't the ones that are the, the non-denial denials. These are, just turn out to be utter, utter garbage. So it's something we're going to have to really, Matt, as, a, as an organization and as a, a group of fans, we're going to have to start switching on to and being more aware of.
0: Yeah, well, and let's recall, um, who took Red Bull's driver last year? Renault did. So Horner, what does he lose if he calls up a reporter and says, oh, yeah, you know, we've been looking at Hulkenberg again. Well, he doesn't lose anything. He's probably not serious about it. But what does that do for Hulkenberg and his contract negotiations with Renault? Oh, well, that's going to drive his price up. We already know Ricciardo's getting paid more money and Hulkenberg will be looking to try and equal that out because I guess that's how they measure things in Formula One driver world. But I'm also reminded of, and we were talking about this pre-show, of uh, Total Wolf saying, well, why has my name turned up to run Formula One all of a sudden? Somebody has an agenda. And it's important to think about these stories with that in mind, who might have an agenda, who might that benefit. And, and you can sometimes try and work backwards and maybe get an idea of what's really going on beneath the surface. Infer, I think, is the word I'm looking for.
3: Stuart Neal in the chat room says Spanner's working to be the Donald Trump of F1 with all his tweets. Now,
0: let's be fair.
3: I think I am fairly obvious when I'm being tongue in cheek. And if I think it's a thing that's really true, I tend to understand it. So Miss Apex will understand a thing if I think it's true. Uh, but Matt, I, I heard people pointing the finger at the former administration, especially when all this F1 is boring, F1 is dead stuff came up. They went, well, who would benefit from that? Either someone with a grudge or someone who wanted to get back into F1. So, Chris, it is worth looking at the the underlying agendas behind all these stories. Not everything is just for clicks. Sometimes people are driving an agenda.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, the, the way it works in in media sometimes is uh, yeah, you do a favour. Um, I'm still just trying to get over the, the the fact that you tried to do sarcasm on the internet and people didn't didn't pick up on that. I, that's never happened before. <laughs>
3: All right, okay. Um well, let's let's talk more wild speculation and rumors. In fact, let's quash this one, Chris, and I'm I'm going to circle back around to the Vettel rumors, but uh, Alonso was reported of having as having broken off his ties with McLaren and and that gained lots of traction. I haven't actually seen anyone denying that. So when this morning you said to me no that's rubbish, I was like, "Oh, I's I I'm going to have to start actually applying critical thinking to my F1 news feed and I didn't sign up for that.
4: No, I mean he himself uh you know j- joked it off and uh, a lot of uh, people that uh, that I've been talking to have said that there's next to no change in their uh, relationship. Uh, now that's not to say that might not come because we all know Alonso could come back to F1 in in 2020 and it doesn't look like it will be with McLaren because the future of that seems locked in with Norris and and Sainz. Wait,
3: wait, stop. Sorry. Hold. You know, when you're talking and then I drift off because I'm just waiting to go to the next topic, I was doing that. But did you say that there's a strong rumour that Alonso was coming back to F1 in 2021?
4: Not a strong rumour. It's a possibility. Um, The door is very much open um, for him. So that doesn't mean those ties won't be cut. But in terms this week, right now, nah. Let's get Carl's input. Well,
5: I heard that Ooh. Alonso and Bonotto are quite good friends. And Alonso is a big Benotto fan. So I think he might be. I think Alonso started that rumour himself that he's leaving McLaren, hearing that Vettel might be retiring and opening a path for him to slip back into Ferrari.
3: And that's full circle on Vettel leaving, going to Red Bull, Gasly out. Wow, hang on. Where does that put Verstappen? Oh, I love this. I love this stuff kind of stuff. We'll definitely do loads of this uh, as it comes, uh, as it comes about to the summer, and we can properly, properly talk silly season, Chris. So, as far as you're concerned, though, the relationship with uh, Alonso and and McLaren stays the same. They had said, it's basically, in the new story I saw, which I am starting to trust the source less and less, they said that it was because of the debacle in the American. Uh, mini Formula One, whatever that's called.
4: I mean, there's no doubt the Indy 500 project was a colossal failure. But uh, McLaren has been a bit of a failure in Formula One for the last four or five years, and that didn't stop Alonso breaking ties with him then. So so why with this? Because he's also not with Toyota anymore in the World Endurance Championship. That's ended as well. So he doesn't have any uh, commitments uh, to that, having just won them on for the second time. Uh, through pure uh, performance and uh, not at all to do with uh, a sense of failure on his uh, teammates cut.
5: oh no you see he's just purely he's he's cutting ties of everyone else and clearing his way for his move back to Ferrari that's exactly what's happening
3: oh yeah yeah he went back to McLaren didn't he so nothing's off the table at all Kyle Power you race go-karts You are somewhat of a karting outdoor expert. You have some videos on YouTube, which you can find by searching for Kyle Power. And you are a a driving and karting subject matter expert for BBC Radio Cambridgeshire. When you pop on there as a guest, Mm -hmm. Kyle Power, uh, nice of you to be here for the last year popping in and out. We've enjoyed your company. I can't lie. I thought you were a very strange-looking and weird man when I first met you at the British Rental Cart Championships, but I'm glad you're on board here. I see you've you've changed your sign in the background, which was previously supporting Brexit by saying "Leave," uh, and you've changed it slightly. Yes, it's, let's not leave. I got oh, accused right. of being
5: a, a hardline Brexit supporter what, in some of the comments, so I thought I'd right the wrongs. What What is the whole sign? What does it say? It's be nice or leave. So oh I'll, right, okay, yes, to Move my camera because I'll screw everything up.
3: Yeah, interesting of you to air your political opinions. I wish, I wish I had political opinions. Of course, um, I'm entirely, entirely neutral. Kyle, well, I have been known to air them, namely on BBC Radio Cambridge here on your show. Yep, thanks. Fortunately, that episode has slipped off of the iPlayer, so no point searching for it, everyone. But Kyle, uh, you wanted to talk to me about engine regulations. Goody, make oh, this interesting. Yeah, good goody. Yeah. Um,
5: yeah, Seedle, the the new McLaren team principal has um has made a comment which which I kind of agree with, and that's the current engine rigs and the proposed engine rigs for 2021 uh, uh, are completely unattractive for new manufacturers to come in. And I think this has quite a lot of poignancy because, because it's true. We want more manufacturers to come in, but, but a manufacturer from the outside, like Porsche, who actually had an engine semi developed are looking at this. They're looking at the struggles that Honda have had and it, and it really puts them off. And a lot of the, a lot of this, um, the contention is around the MGUH. So as the heats where they, where they gathering and they're regenerating energy from the turbocharger and that is unlimited in how much energy they can recover and put back into the battery which is where ferrari are really strong which is where honda have traditionally struggled now that now him and wolf are both saying that they should keep the engine regulations the same just keep them the same now otherwise it it devalues all of the previous manufacturers um financial commitments that they've made so I kind of agree with that. And I think there is a way around that they could do. And sorry to go to two wheels here, but MotoGP employ a rule and a system for new manufacturers coming in where they have concessions. So to try and entice these new manufacturers in, maybe give a new manufacturer an option to have concessions, like they're allowed six engines for the season, unlimited upgrades, and they keep those concessions so they can, they can quickly get up to speed until they achieve two dry weather podiums. And then they lose the concessions once they're up to speed. And that's worked really, really well in MotoGP for Suzuki. And I think it could work well for F1.
0: So you say that Formula One wants new manufacturers to come in. We have Ferrari, Mercedes, Renault, and Honda. That's four suppliers. We have 10 teams. Why do we need more manufacturers is my question. And who will pay them money to do that? Because it's going to be hard to make money if you're only supplying one team.
5: Well, they'd love the Volkswagen Group to come in. They'd absolutely love that. Um, And they've been trying to entice them in for quite a while. Um, And also, it's security for the future of the sport. With a lot of independent teams, money getting tight and potentially falling off the ladder, uh, having a full-blown manufacturer input into the sport can only be a good thing for its longevity.
4: I don't think we're shy of slots on the grid. Either in Formula One, we could afford to have an 11th team or even a 12th team or a 13th team, to be honest. Um, so there's no reason why a manufacturer couldn't come in with its own, uh, team and then supply another tip somewhere else along the grid, maybe even invite a junior team to come with them as well. The sort of juxtaposition with the engine regs at the moment is that, you know, F1 wants to, bring in new manufacturers and they say, well, get rid of the MGUH and we'll come in. And then the teams will say, well, hang on a minute. We've spent all this time working on the MGUH. If you get rid of it, then we're going to stop, you know, doing, doing F1. And that's the, the big battle going on with that at the moment for 2021.
3: Kyle, I think that the question everyone's going to be asking there is, did Chris use the word juxtaposition in the correct context? I think, no,
5: not quite. Mm. Um, I'm not exactly a grammar king. So don't ask me. (laughs) But but yeah, the um, the only way I can see them doing it is having some sort of uh, concession rule, because I totally agree with the current manufacturers. They've invested uh, an utterly heinous amount of money into developing these systems. And they also want to keep it relevant for future markets and and energy recovery. And these ecosystems is very relevant for the future market. So dropping the MGUH would be a regression, a sort of dropping Concord type regression type thing. And they don't want to do that. So I agree with them.
0: Um, Philip Allen in the chat brings up the excellent point that the current uh formula for rewarding manufacturers for placement stops at 10th place. And for new entrants, as you were suggesting, you have to compete for two years before you're eligible to get any standard money from FOM. So it's not just going to be engine regulations. It's also going to have to be changing the how the money is distributed, and do you think any team is going to vote for even less money being divided into even smaller slices the way things are right now?
4: Well, they already are. the the the, the way the money is being distributed is already currently being shaken up. So why not allow that to implement an eleventh or twelfth uh, team? And I have to the, the the you know the MotoGP system does work really really well. Suzuki came in and within two years were winning races. And it's uh, working for other teams as well. There's a comment in the chat room as well, actually, about why don't they use balance of performance? And from my experience, uh, balance of performance doesn't work in nine out of 10 scenarios. And also, what is the point of Formula One if you're going to use balance of performance? What I would really like to see, and I think the, the real issue is a
0: balance of engine regulations that are parametric. And would allow new manufacturers to come in with different engines and make them competitive on numbers on the dyno or something like that so that we could have more engineering in the series, quite frankly.
5: I'd love to see that. I'd love to see them open up the engine rules and basically said, look, you have this much capacity. You have, to, you have to be reliant on this percentage of your engine output to be ERS and to be hybrid. How you achieve that is up to you. I'd love to see... Um, different cylinder configuration someone would be able to go to a v8 someone with a v6 I'd, I'd i'd love to see yeah diversity
0: you could just go for total energy output for a lap however you care to achieve it
5: yeah yeah and let them do that so so that would open like we had it in le mans where some use the battery pack and then do you think where the Audis i believe used a kinetic system with a flywheel and stuff like it would be love. it would be great to see this this sort of yeah yeah diversity essentially is what what i'm asking for
0: yeah of course it'll never happen because they'll say it'll cost too much but you know i mean it's formula one it's going to cost too much no matter what rules you have that's my rejoinder
3: talking of spending a lot of money i'll be going down to the silverstone circuit to watch friday practice let's talk about the british grand prix one is not dead rumors of formula one's demise were much exaggerated after the french grand prix the austrian grand prix brought the sport back to life and now all of the news outlets are back on board and are f1 fans instead of just us and checkered flag but we are now facing a period of of relative unpredictability Because we've seen some chinks in the armour of Mercedes in the last race. Now people are getting excited. Is there a possibility that Red Bull are going to rear their Honda hind legs up? Chris is shaking his head and challenge at Silverstone. However, Matt, it does have to be said that Silverstone, heat aside, has got Hamilton and Mercedes written all over it.
0: Yeah, he does kind of like the track a little bit. Five wins? Five wins so far? Yeah. It's it's almost Canada-esque, isn't it? Uh, But I think Ferrari fans can take a little bit of heart. Um, uh, Certainly, there's no Räikkönen to punt him off like last year. But we've seen in Austria an improved performance in medium and high-speed corners from the Ferrari. And importantly, we're hearing that they think they have finally figured out what the issue with their floor is. And on top of that, and I'm sure you all remember this clearly, and there will be a quiz later, uh, remember those new technical directives that I mentioned a show or two ago? The uh, plenum temperature of the air, the rear wing mounting bolts, and the um, exhaust blowing on the rear wing? Uh, Those technical directives, we found out thanks to Scarbs, are now coming into effect at Silverstone. So we may see some unusual things happen as teams lose some of their gray colored toys
3: Hmm. fascinating chris fascinating uh what's your take
4: well prior to those technical directives it's fair to say that the delta between the mercedes and the ferrari was at its lowest in the high-speed corners now that's to be expected really you know the two fastest formula one cars ever made are going to be relatively closely matched in the high speed. It's the, it's the medium and the low speed where you tend to get the, the differences. And uh, there there isn't so much of that at Silverstone. It's a very high speed uh, track. Uh, and uh, with some of these corners now being flat out in qualifying quite comfortably, perhaps Ferrari can utilize their power advantage a little bit more than just on the the straights. But, as much as Ferrari may be coming here with a with a fixed floor, Mercedes are coming here with their own upgrades.
3: Oh well, sorry, uh, I just proved myself wrong. I thought that point was never going to end, but it actually did, Kyle. Uh, let's talk about Silverstone as a track itself. When when we talk about it being a power circuit, that seems to contradict us when we say well actually it's a high downforce circuit and you need a lot of grip going through certain corners describe the characteristics of this track for us a little
5: well it is a power circuit because it's extremely high speed a lot of the corners are extremely high speed when you're actually on power and accelerating through them like the first kink into beckett's is that Dragging out of the slow speed in section one or from, from turn three down the Wellington straight and also accelerating out of the old club corner onto the start and finish straight. All of that is, is power dependent, but the fast corners are fast and you're accelerating out hard. So I think Ferrari will stand a chance, but I think Mercedes will have a good advantage in the slow stuff in the first section. But Silverstone's a fantastic track. And I've mentioned this and it's got one of my corners I use. Um, I use for points and that's Brooklyn's on the entrance to Brooklands at the end of the Hanger Straight, uh, not the Hanger Straight, the Wellington Strait, Sorry, um, we have fantastic racing today because it's one of my favourite sort of multi-line corners, so it offers, it yields good racing.
3: So is that is that out of the first sector, and then you have, did you say the Wellington Strait? Yeah. um, Yeah. The Wellington straight. Sorry. So that's that's like you get, you get the turn one,
5: turn two, the the fast flip flops. Then you've got the two hairpins and it's down through uh, down Wellington straight with a DRS zone into Brooklands with a really wide, about four or five different lines you can take into there. So expect most of the action to happen
3: there. And then you've got a slow right hand around Luffield where I I don't know, I've only known it from computer games, but it feels like you're waiting forever to get back on the power.
5: It's the typical Brundle comment of the hurry up and wait corner we've got to hurry up and wait to get on the throttle it's not a great corner on on games i've never driven it in real life but then you have one of the iconic sections of track coming up after that with with
3: cops then followed by becketts and maggots matt's driven around there in real life uh he's never he barely mentions it but yeah he has how did you find uh luffield
0: uh luffield was actually uh it was brooklyn's that i found to be difficult which you have to get which you have to absolutely nail if you're going to get Luffield done properly. And yeah, generally in Luffield, what I heard uh, when Pip was riding with me was, nope, 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 now. <laughs> As I started to tap the throttle. It, 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 but it, when yeah. when you get it right, there's nothing that feels better than the Brooklyn's Luffield complex. It's uh, Chris, really tricky and challenging.
3: Chris, I know you're working with a lot of the, the junior drivers over the course of the weekend. And if you watch the F2, F3, well, which uh, which I have done from uh, from the stand just before Luffield, like right on the right-hander. You do see a lot of the drivers bin it into Luffield, like almost like on the exit to, Oh, uh, sorry, what was the one before it called? Brooklands. So yeah, Wellington Strait, overdo it into Brooklands and then just don't have the speed reduced enough for Luffield and just bin it right in front of you in, in that stand. So that's quite a good place to stand.
4: Yeah, it's where you'll see the top guys really show their their craft, especially in wheel-to-wheel combat. I think we all remember Vettel and Alonso having an amazing wheel-to-wheel battle for half the Grand Prix back in uh, 2014. But it's also a set of corners that will really highlight any issues with the car because it's such a long two, two corners. You need a, a really good balance through there. And if you've got an unstable car, uh, then... You're, you're just going to be waiting forever to get on the power. You're going to be struggling under braking. And I think cars like the Williams, for example, that's where they'll be losing quite a lot of their time. Yeah, and
5: I'm expecting it's all about, for those two corners, it's all about the rotation. They're understeer corners typically. So Brooklands, you're braking in, you're dragging brakes on the way into there. And in Luffield, as previously mentioned, it's a hurry up and wait. So you're always waiting for the front to bite. And what, has, what have Mercedes been been better than everyone else this year it's it's rotation car rotation so i'm expecting them to be untouchable as you would expect through there
3: guys we're going to finish up today with comment of the week thank you very much for joining us live stream and thank you to everyone who subscribes that the numbers have been steadily growing for us throughout the year it's all been looking really positive and we've Really appreciated hearing from the people who've only found Formula One this season. A lot of them through the Netflix series Drive to Survive. And I always welcome your emails. Spanners at gmail.com. So thank you to anyone who gets in touch. If you would like to support us, you can keep the lights on in the shed by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex. We have a lovely Slack community for our patrons. We try to do an extra patron-only content with me and Matt, although we don't hold anything back for that. So it's not like a case of subscribe to the patron-only podcast, and that's where we give you the real juicy stuff. No, it's worse content, but it is more personal content, perhaps. Matt, can you tell us, out of this busy chat room this week, who are the nominations and winner of... Comment
0: of the Week? Well, you'll be delighted to know I've whittled it down to just four options
3: okay that's i mean that's still more than the three we agreed but fine i'll take my victory where i can
0: It's just it's just uh, i've still got one wheel on the white line thank you very much um starting at the beginning will crockett wondering how many of those who go to the race will overtake gasly on the a5 bit of local humor for you
3: yes the a5 being a local road and gasly of being really off the pace i have to say i think we might all be being a bit harsh on pierre gasly summer's Summers f1 who i'm assured will be doing a tech show whenever him and matt can actually get a schedule together have been talking and and Summers is very keen to say you know Gasly's not got the same car yes he's not doing very well there is clearly a performance deficit but don't think he's driving the same car as max verstappen and i think we can keep that in mind as well who's our next nomination for comment of the
0: week uh, Stuart Neal, um, Lewis is so cool. The designers did not think they needed bigger radiators.
3: Oh, slick. Although, in the interests of Ham Fossey, I have to kind of say, oh, is Lewis that cool? Is he?
0: And, and of course, uh, the one you brought up, Will Crockett, again with let's do an experiment where we correct all of Grosjean's mistakes and do the math on how many years it adds back to Gunther's life expectancy.
3: Unless there was a Star Trek episode where that ambassador would get a wife and she was all like young and beautiful but then she would suck the life force out of her and then she'd become like all old and that and then she'd die and then he'd get another wife maybe gunter steiner does that with drivers we don't know he could just be sucking the life force out of grosjean
0: and then finally we have our friend hell 666 with the definitive pronunciation of the french manufacturer as ren uh-oh
3: scathing attack on everybody's 10th favorite F1 team. Who's the winner this week, Matt?
0: It's got to be Will Crockett for his Gunther signer. Let's do an experiment where we correct all of Grosjean's mistakes and do the math on how many years it adds back to Gunther's life expectancy.
2: Comment of the
3: week. Well done. Feel free, Will, to add that to your Twitter bio. Lots of content coming up this week and the next week. We will definitely be catching up with Matthew Carter. Just. A, a, a matter of finding a hole in our schedules Matt's going to be catching up with Summers for Tech Time me and Matt will also be doing a Patreon podcast on Monday we're also going to be reviewing the W Series race that happened at the weekend and me, Matt Thunderbeast and Simon Dan are collaborating to do Apex TV where we'll be catching up on the the, the series the new series Catch 22 until next time remember that wounds heal Chicks dig scars and glory that lasts forever thanks for listening to the Miss Apex Podcast. You can follow the show at Mist Apex F1, me at Spanners Ready, Chris at Chris On racing Kyle power isn't on twitter because he's edgy and not cool matt is at mattpt 55 and if you want to come and hang out with us and have beer we are going to buckmore park on the 21st of september we're going to be karting from around 1 p.m all the way through to about 6 p.m you will get three heats and a final it's a fun Long day of action-packed karting. Go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting to book your spot to join us and we'll be hanging one on in the evening at the bar at Buckmore too. We'll also be reviewing the Singapore Grand Prix live from Buckmore Park the following day as well. So you can come out and hang out with us while we watch the race and then we'll record our race review live. Hope you enjoy the British Grand Prix. Bye.